Choir directors are creative, resourceful, dedicated, and sometimes completely out of ideas. Not to worry, the Choir Ninja Podcast is here with solutions you never saw coming. Get ready for some training, wisdom, and inspiration from the masters. Let Ryan Guth guide your journey to becoming a Choir Ninja. best part about being a ninja? The gear. It's the nunchucks, the katanas, the throwing stars. It's the same for choir ninjas. The difference between an ordinary and a masterful performance may come down to your most basic and essential piece of equipment, your music folder. My Music Folders creates a superior product, and they do it with a smile. And because they are friends of the podcast, they have a killer deal for you right now. Get the bulk purchase price break without having to buy in bulk. So whether you have to restock your entire classroom or you just need to replace a few folders, you will get the best possible pricing on the best possible product. So like a ninja, sneak on over to MyMusicFolders.com and use the code NINJA when you check out. Today's episode is brought to you by SightReadingFactory.com. Do you hate teaching sight singing? Do you have a carbon footprint the size of Sasquatch because you run off endless sheets of sight singing examples only to hear your students groan in agony when it's time to sight sing in rehearsal? SightReadingFactory.com is a web-based tool that will compose custom sight reading examples based on specifications that you choose. Your choir will actually enjoy sight singing and so will you. Plus, you will get back hours of your life and finally feel like the choir ninja you were destined to be. If that isn't cool enough, you can add student accounts that link directly to your teacher dashboard so your kids can practice or even take recorded assessments from home. As a sponsor of this show, SightReadingFactory.com has an exclusive deal just for you, Choir Nation. When you purchase their insanely affordable one-year subscription, you will unlock 10 free student accounts just for using the promo code NINJA at checkout. That's Ninja, N-I-N-J-A. So head over to SightReadingFactory.com. That's SightReadingFactory.com. And don't forget to use the promo code Ninja at checkout to unlock your 10 student accounts absolutely free. Hey there, Choir Nation. This is Ryan Guth with the Choir Ninja Podcast. Uh, I'm excited today to have Lynn Lyons with me. Um, Lynn is an expert on anxious kids and their anxious parents. In fact, she actually wrote a book um, called Anxious Kids, Anxious Parents, and it's strategies for dealing with and managing worry. And I know this is something that hits real close to home with us middle school, high school choir directors, and even personally, uh, potentially with our own kids. And uh, I think it's really going to be a valuable episode. We're going to talk about what's going on with anxiety. Is it as bad as it seems? Uh, What happens when we try to eliminate worry and anxiety altogether? We're going to find out what happens, what's the connection between anxiety and depression, and what should everyone know about anxiety, but most people don't. So I'm super excited to have Lynn with me today. Lynn, thank you for coming on the Choir Ninja podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Well, Lynn, um, you know, I heard you initially on the Art of Charm podcast, which is like one of iTunes' most popular podcasts. So it sounds like you're, you're probably a pro at this by now, huh? Well, I've done a few of them. Done so a few. I talk, 
I talk for a living, so so uh, I can string some words together. That's awesome. Well, so Lynn, how did you get into this particular niche in dealing with anxious children and, and their anxious parents? Well, it sort of evolved over time. I was very interested in anxiety, and it's a very common thing. So if you're a therapist and you don't know how to deal with anxiety, it's sort of like being a, a chef that doesn't know how to use flour. So um, I was working with anxiety amongst other things. And I just started working with kids a little bit more and word got out that I dealt with kids. And once word got out that I would see kids, then they sort of started flocking to my door. And so it was almost like I, I learned more about anxious kids because they were showing up in my office so frequently. Um, and so that's sort of where my niche kind of developed over time. So you had this organic, this organic growth. The, it, the opportunities came to you, it sounds right. like. Right, right. So what are some things that people need to know or some misconceptions maybe about about anxiety? Because I know, you know, when I was a, a middle school, high school choir director uh, in my in my former life, before I just hosted the podcast, um, you know, I, I dealt with kids who would come to me and say, you know, Mr. Guth, I'm dealing with anxiety or I have anxiety, I have depression. And, you know, sometimes I look at those kids and say, is this an excuse for something else or... Is this really something that's going on? And so, so it, you know, I, I try to, I, I want to call people's bluff sometimes, but I almost don't feel like it's appropriate to. So, I mean, help me out here. What, what, what are, are there some particular signs of, of real yeah. anxiety or real depression that we need to understand? Or is there sometimes where it's just an excuse for something else? Well, I, I think that what you, what you experience is probably something that I hear from a lot of educators and a lot of people that deal with kids is how do I know the difference between, oh, I'm so anxious, I can't do this thing, or I really have an issue with anxiety. And the, the differentiation really is what's a normal part of being a human being, and in particular, a normal part of being a tweener or a teenager, and what's something that really is impeding your development or your ability to move forward in life. And so I think that's really the differentiation that we make. The thing that's interesting, and I would imagine that a lot of the listeners have experienced this, is that kids these days, which makes me sound old, but I'll say it anyway, mm -hmm. kids these days um, are very conversant in sort of diagnostic language, which I think can be a little bit off-putting to people. So when a kid shows up and says, you know, I have depression, so I can't do this, or I have anxiety, we, if, if you're not in the mental health world, you sort of grimace at that a little bit, like, oh, here we go. You know, this kid has this diagnostic label. Mm -hmm. And that that actually is not very helpful to have a diagnostic label if you don't have a diagnosis. But on the flip side, it can be really helpful for somebody to identify what's going on with you if you're really struggling. So it really is sort of a two-sided coin. Um, anxiety, worry, and anxiety are a normal, both are normal parts of being a human being. We are capable of worrying because we are capable of thinking about the future and contemplating things that haven't happened yet. And that's not going away. It actually is something that has been a key to our survival, to our success as a species. 
But when worry takes over and when we are consistently thinking about what might happen and then doing the thing that worry and anxiety love to do, which is to try and avoid the things that make us uncertain and uncomfortable, then our world starts to get smaller. So the way it sort of shows up in, in kind of the normal realm of things is, oh, I have to step into this situation and it's new or it's uncomfortable or I don't know what's going to happen. And your worry says, oh, what if, what if, what if? If your anxiety or your worry isn't debilitating, you sort of accept that uncertainty. And so you still perform or you still go and get your driver's license or you still go to that school dance. But if worry and anxiety are powerful enough to call the shots, then worry says, you know what, this feels too uncomfortable. I think the best option is to just skip it all together. Mm -hmm. And that's when the avoidance takes over. And that's when you begin to have a real problem with kids trying to learn and grow and attend school and perform and take appropriate social risks because worry is all about, no thanks, I'm out. And that's the difference, really. Okay, so what I'm hearing is is worry is this natural instinct that we have that probably stops us from being eaten by a saber-toothed tiger, right? That's probably something that right. we we need to have a healthy amount of worry in order to not put ourselves into bad situations. Right, because right. worry, worry sometimes says, hey, you know what, maybe you better slow down a little bit, right? Or, or maybe, maybe that's not such a great idea. Mm-hmm. And that's something we don't want to take away from adolescence. We want to promote the ability to sort of step back and assess a little bit. So it's not going anywhere. But when it gets too big and too powerful, then that's when it really starts to interfere. So do you think that, that anxiety plagues sort of the creative population because they are dreamers and they are what if type people and they're creators. So they sort of fabricate the what ifs in their mind based on this instinctive worry that they already have. Yeah, absolutely. I I say to kids, you know, I I have all these warriors in my office and I say to them, do you, do you have a good imagination? And they're sort of their eyebrows go up and their eyes get big and they say, yes, you know, they're, they're thinkers and they're creators and they're often readers and they're looking at possibilities. So when we combine the ability to imagine and we, we put some worry in there if you are a worrier, you're going to imagine bad things, right? So, so it is. It's a it's a tricky thing, but I think you're exactly right. That that cerebral, creative, imaginative brain can take you to places that maybe are wonderful, but can also take you to places that you don't particularly want to go. Okay, gotcha. So now, now take me from anxiety to depression. I mean, now depression. That seems like a big leap. Is is that is that a, is that a huge is that a huge leap from do they normally pair together when yeah, somebody it's, it's, has anxiety or is it it's, separate? It's actually, yeah, it's, it's actually not a huge leap. Okay. Um, it's actually anxiety is sort of the the speed, the speed lane into depression if it goes untreated. Um, so you can get depressed for a lot of different reasons. Um, so you don't you don't have to have anxiety first to get depressed, of course. Gotcha. But. If you have anxiety and nobody does anything about it, if you don't do anything about it, if you don't learn 
um, how to manage it or you don't get any education about it, then it's a fast track into depression. In fact, anxiety is one of the top predictors of developing depression in adolescence and young adulthood. So here's why it's not a big leap. If you are anxious, your anxiety for one is exhausting and it pulls you out of things. So for those of the for for your listeners that are listening and and having these interactions with middle schoolers and teenagers all the time one of the developmental mandates of being a teen is social connection so stepping into those situations learning how to deal with relationships managing the tricky conflicts and all that kind of mess that comes with being a human being with other human beings anxiety gets in the way of that Because anxiety, as I said, says, no, thank you, I'm out. So kids start, or or kids begin to to begin to avoid things. They stop doing the things Mm -hmm. that actually promote social connection. And when I've got an anxious teenager who sort of moved into depression, they're isolated, they're lonely, and they're also aware of the fact that they're not participating in things that maybe they desperately want to participate in, but the anxiety doesn't allow them to. So that's that's often how anxiety moves so quickly into depression, because it's getting in the way of, of social connection, which is just, you know, if we look at risk factors of depression, that's one of them, not feeling connected, not feeling like you belong to a group or that you feel like you have a place with with your peers. Okay, so what can educators and specifically choir directors like me and in Choir Nation do mm-hmm. to sort of open the door and say, "Hey, um, this is a this is a place for you." Uh, is I mean, mm-hmm. is, what what do you tell teachers? Well, the 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 most important thing I think is to normalize worry and anxiety, and. The biggest mistake that people make, and therapists do this, and teachers and parents and a lot of people do it, is this idea that we can get rid of it, that the goal is to eliminate it. Once you start trying to eliminate worry and eliminate anxiety, anxiety and worry are two different things, although we use the terms interchangeably. Worry describes the cognitive process, like we were talking about the what-ifing, and anxiety actually refers to the physical symptoms. So, you know, if you drank 10 cups of coffee and you never had caffeine before, you would have you would have anxiety in your body. But nonetheless, we use the terms interchangeably, just so you know. But okay. so when we, when we say to kids, we're going to get rid of your worry, or when somebody comes to see me and says, I want to get rid of my anxiety, certainly understandable, but worry is paradoxical. And the more you try and get rid of it, or the more that you have the expectation that it can actually disappear, the stronger it gets. So if, say say that you have a, a kid who, who wants to be in choir, but really has a lot of social anxiety or, or some performance anxiety, which all stems from a fear that I'm going to be judged or evaluated or make a mistake. And their goal in coming into choir is to, or somebody says, look, you can be in choir, but we're going to help you get rid of your worry. Well, then as soon as that kid starts to feel worried, they're like, oh, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be able to get rid of this. Why am I feeling this way? I shouldn't be feeling this way. Right. I'm a failure or something and it makes it worse. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Or they told me that if I did my breathing exercises, I wouldn't feel worried, but I'm doing my breathing exercises and I'm still feeling worried. Like, forget this. 
what we want to say is, of course, your worry is going to show up. I, I, I say all the time, there are no two words that are more important in my work than of course. If somebody said to me, you can't say of course anymore, I, I would feel handcuffed, verbally handcuffed. Of course, you're going to feel this way. Mm-hmm. So when you step into this situation and the worry shows up, then we're going to allow it to be there. So externalizing the worry, giving it a name. These are creative kids, right? Give it a name. Call it Phyllis. Call it Pete. You know, call it Agnes. And when Agnes shows up and says what it always says, which is, you can't handle this. Oh, no. Let's catastrophically think about what could go on. We want to we acknowledge it. We want to recognize it. We even want to expect it to show up in those situations where there is some risk. Every time you perform, there's risk. But how can we allow the worry to be there? Just turn to it and say, hey, nice to see you. I knew you were going to show up because I'm in this situation that's a little uncertain and a little challenging. And allow it to be there and then pivot and do what you came to do. That has a huge impact and is very, very different than saying, in order for me to perform or in order for me to be in this situation, I need to be worry-free. That is going to backfire big time. Yeah. So so the goal is not to eliminate Agnes altogether. The, the goal right. is to be able to say, all right, Agnes, you're going to get off my shoulder now. You're going to go back in your little cardboard box until later. Mm-hmm. Let mm-hmm. me do, I'm going to do my thing and hey thanks for looking out for me <laughs> or, right. or whatever right, right. okay right right and, and and some kids are sort of more empathic than others and so they're going to they're going to see Agnes as sort of trying to do her best to help out other kids are you know more just like god Agnes you know get out of here um yeah and I wouldn't even go so far as to say you have to get off my shoulder if you want to sit on my shoulder and chat in my ear for a while you can but I'm going to I'm going to have you be background noise Listen, I, I smell a puppet in your near future named Agnes that you're going to be using in your in your practice. <laughs> I can see I have, her now. <laughs> well, we do in my in my office. We do a lot of. I, I'm a I'm a pretty good cartoon drawer, uh-huh. um, and so there's a lot of drawing that goes on, and and a lot of role playing, and that's one of the things too that is so um, wonderful about dealing with kids that are artistic and kids that are creative is we can do these role plays and Mm -hmm. we can come up with these characters and we can act it out. And they're just so willing to sort of throw themselves into that. So it really is about how, how can you use the strengths and the resources of these kids in order for them to be able to manage what are really normal, expected emotions and situations? Sure. Okay. Okay. I mean, so, so uh, I want to pivot for a second and just, go into sort of how have you seen worry change with the fact that, you know, kids are so hyper connected to each other at this point. Uh, you know, I, I feel like, you know, I'm, I just got married last week and we're thinking about kids, you know, and I'm like, I don't know if I want to bring a kid up in this, in this environment. You know, this is, it's, you know, it's scary to see how connected they are and how mean they can yeah. be to each other. You know, how have you seen that and how have you had to adapt your your practice to meet those needs? Well, it's an, it's an interesting thing. And, and if you're um, so first of all, congratulations on your wedding. Oh, and thank you. 
Oh my gosh. Have, have a, have a kid, have a baby. Right. I mean, I know like sometimes things look dire, but it really, it really is just such an amazing experience. So go for it, go for it. You you can wait a little while, but go for it. Okay. Perfect. um, So, there, um, just as a, a, an in, interesting resource, there is a, an article that was published in The Atlantic uh, a few months ago now by a woman named Jean Twenge, and it's spelled T-W-E-N-G-E, Jean Twenge. Um, and it's an excerpt from a book that she just wrote called iGen. Um, and it's a book about, it's an article about the impact of smartphones on kids and whether or not it's actually contributing to depression and what's the impact of smartphones on the mental health of kids. Because this is really, it really exploded in about 2012 um, was the tipping point for when most kids we're getting and having smartphones. Um, That's like Instagram. That's like the birth of Instagram for the most part. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So the interesting thing about all of the social media is that in the anxiety realm, what I see is it creates this expectation for certainty. So if you have an iPhone Um, and this is an issue with parents and kids as well, there's an expectation that you'll be able to know ahead of time everything that's going to happen, or you're going to be able to know in the moment everything that's happening. So parents are tracking kids so they can know where they are all the time. Kids are tracking parents so they can know where their parents are all the time. You're not going to go to a party until you look at the invitation list and figure out who's going to be there. And if that person is there, maybe you're not going to go. And you can figure out what you're going to wear. And you can know what everybody's doing. And you can have this, unfortunately, uh, inflated sense of certainty which doesn't really then bear out because the flip side of that is that you still can't really know what's truly going on inside of people, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, whether or not what they're writing is actually true or false. There's a great phrase, and I don't even, well, I think I probably remember who told me it, but I say it to kids all the time. When you're comparing yourself to somebody else, you're comparing your inside to their outside. Mm -hmm. And so the more information that kids get and the more information that parents get, it gives you this false sense of certainty, but but at the same time, it increases your uncertainty and it increases your your sense of insecurity. So how this is all going to play out, I'm not sure, but I'm very clear with the kids I see is that one of the mistakes that anxious people make is that they presume that they know what people are thinking and feeling, or they want to know what people are thinking and feeling, and at the same time have a really hard time with uncertainty. So it's really, again, about sort of acceptance that I don't know what you're actually thinking or feeling, and I have to live with that uncertainty. And so anxiety is really a quest for certainty, and it's, a, it's impossible to appease it. So with all this social media stuff, just, there's just too much information, too many assumptions being made. This quest for certainty is getting in the way of all sorts of independent problem solving and being able to not know and move forward anyway. So it's, it's, it's definitely having an impact for sure. I'd never heard anybody use the term certainty, and I and I really think that that's I think you hit the nail on the head there. I've always I've always heard you know hey you're comparing you're comparing your whole life to somebody else's highlight reel, 
Yes, know? and that's I, great. I think that's a really mm-hmm. that, that that one really resonated with me. I, I'm I heard yeah. it on a podcast somewhere, and I thought that was really uh, impactful. So I always told my students that, hey, you know, listen, you're you're trying to compare your whole life. You have no idea what people are are dealing with. You know, yeah, they're what? they're really pretty when they you know get their get their you know high school senior picture taken and this and that. And everybody, right. you know, there's 600 likes on Instagram overnight. You know, but yeah. but you have no idea what's going on right. at home. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, and and anxiety really is all about trying to find certainty. It, it, it wants to know the two rules of our, of anxiety are certainty and comfort. Mm-hmm. I want to know exactly what's happening and I want to feel comfortable as I move into this situation. That's anxiety's agenda, period. Mm-hmm. And so, this, you know, w- with, with all these devices and social media and everything, y- you feel like you're getting information. You feel like you're, you're getting some sort of certainty, but you're not. And we have to be able to tolerate uncertainty. When, when we look at the research of, of kids that are anxious, particularly if they're raised in anxious families, they are lousy at tolerating uncertainty. They're not very good independent problem solvers, which is an, a really important thing for educators to pay attention to. And they're not very autonomous. Their sense of mastery, their sense of being able to step into things and be able to manage it is not where we'd want it to be. And so we really have to pay attention to how do we bolster up if, if that's where the gap is, if that's where we know the gap is, how do we bolster those skills in kids? And this is why, you know, in terms of performing and being involved in the arts and being on stage and live performances is such a great environment for dealing with all of these things, oh, sure. right? You are you are taking a risk. You are mm-hmm. putting yourself out there. You are absolutely being judged. And so how do you tolerate putting yourself out there knowing that you don't really have a lot of control over people's opinions? You can do a great performance and somebody can still say, well, I didn't care for that music choice. Or you can do a terrible performance and somebody can say, oh my gosh, they were so charming. It just doesn't, we just have so little control over it. Yeah, you know, we have this, there's an air, and this is what I've been out to squish since day one on the podcast. There's, there's an air of elitism in the choir world. Um, you know, hmm. you, you go to these conferences and this and that, and, you know, you have people in the audience who are struggling every day to get their kids to rehearse well, just like everybody else, but mm-hmm. that, that will poo-poo somebody's program, um, you know, after they've been selected you know, from all these different choirs to present for the for the Allstate Festival or the mm-hmm. you know Eastern Region Festival or this and that, you know, and it's like you get these snarky, which I think are probably insecure people on their own, right? People that yeah. are dealing with these things on their own that will poo-poo somebody else's program, um, you know, and you know nothing about it. All you all you know, you don't see the connection between the teacher and the kids, and the, or the fact right. that this might have been a huge journey or a big struggle for them to even get onto the stage, you know, even just to travel mm-hmm. there in the first place. You don't know about these things and and you get somebody judging on that sur- sort of surface level. Well, like, you yeah. know, no kidding, we're raising a bunch of a bunch of anxious students, you know, because the person sort of out at the helm demonstrating, you know, or being an example is somebody who is themselves sort of judging the exterior. And right. and so 
I've been out to squash coral elitism since since the very beginning, and uh, for you, I, well, I hate it. I mean, I I, I hate it because yeah. you know, I I you are given the the cards that you're dealt. Is you know, you don't choose what kids show up to your class. You don't right. choose the resources that you're given. You know, to pay for for the program and things. You do the best with what you have. And, and you got anxious kids, you got anxious teachers, you know, you got not enough money, you know, the favorite, you know, school district's favorite color of tape is red, you know, so, (laughs) you know, so, so you have all these, these factors and you have one shot, right. Right. In in some conference somewhere to just show what you got. Right. Like that's, that sucks. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and there's, yeah. And there's the pressure. I I say to kids all the time, human beings, we are a judgy species because we are a social species. So we are hardwired to judge our fellow man because in the old days it was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to look, I'm going to size you up and either you're my friend, my foe, or I'm going to have sex with you. Right. That's what it comes down to. Right. But, but we're, we're hardwired to read expressions, to read body language, to come to conclusions because we're trying, we have to collaborate in order to survive. One of the great things that I um, love doing with kids is having them in do a little research, even watch YouTube videos about other social species and look and see all those behaviors that are, that are judgy, that are evaluative. And that way we just normalize it. So again, here comes that phrase, of course, of course, when you do a performance, you're going to have people judge you. Of course, when you, you know, choose a song, there are going to people who judge that choice. Of course, of course, of course. And giving kids that language and giving sort of normalizing for them that whenever you step out there, people are going to have opinions, take some of the heat off. It's, it's a very courageous thing to do that you, you step out in front of the world and say, look, look at what we've done because there's no guarantee what's going to come back at you. So it's a, it's a very courageous thing, I think, to be a performer. Yeah, I think so. And you take some of the you take some of the most introverted kids and you stick them on stage. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's so opposite, you know, what you think. Yeah. And when you, as a choir director, when you raise, you know, when you say, hey, who's interested in this solo? You know, this piece has a solo in it. You know, it's, yeah. eight, it's eight bars, right? Right. There's only three kids who raise their hand. You know, <laughs> I mean, the choir is 100 people, right? But there's only three kids right. who raise their hand. And it's the same three kids every time, Every right? single time. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I feel like there's a, there's a certain part of, as a teacher, you know, making, and I hate to use the term because I feel like it's been overused, you know, like safe space, because I think it's, yeah. it's used in so many different contexts that yeah. I, don't, I think it's like lost its meaning. But, mm-hmm. but being able to say, hey, listen, of course you're going to feel, like I'm going to use your language, of course you're going to feel ridiculous coming up here in front of the entire choir and trying the solo. But guess what? Mm-hmm. You're just trying it. And the other thing right. is, I know you. I know your work ethic. I know, you know, I know, I probably know more about your voice than you understand. Um, yep. I just want to see if, if this could work. And then guess what? Right. If it works out and, and you sound like you can probably, you know, handle this solo, then guess what? This isn't the final product right now. We're going to, we have eight weeks to the concert. You can come with, right. you can come in during lunch and we can work on it until you're happy with it. But, you know, maybe just sort of changing the dialogue from like bum 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 solo time you know to to hey who wants to give it a shot 
Who wants to just try it? Who wants to try it and possibly fail in front of all of their friends? And guess what? We are all friends here. You know, right. Who wants to fail in front of your friends? And guess what? We're not going to judge you right now. We're just going to say that. Well, I think you've just given such a wonderful metaphor for what I talk about all the time because the the three X's, right? I talk to kids a lot about the three X's and it's, we're going to expect the worry to show up. We're going to externalize it, right? We're going to call it Agnes. We're going to put it out here. We're going to see it as a part of ourselves, but we're not going to talk about it as if it's who we are. And then the third X is we're going to experiment, so we're going to, we're going to, this is an experiment mm-hmm. and we're going to take some risks and we're not going to know exactly how it's going to go. So that's a wonderful way of putting that. Like, let's just experiment with this. And then the other thing that you, that you just described, which is something that I talk about all the time is, is teaching kids about the process of mastery that you start off awkward and clumsy and not knowing how it's going to go. And then little by little, you work towards something until you master it. That's something that anxious kids have a really hard time with because when they come up against that first awkwardness, then they're out. And one of the things that that educators and, and choir directors and parents can really talk to kids about is let's let's think about something that you didn't know how to do that you were, it was a mess at the beginning. And now here you are. So you could say, look, at the beginning of the school year, let's think about August or September. Let's think about something that at the beginning of the school year, you felt insecure about. You had no idea how it was going to go. And now here we are in January and man, you've got it down. Let's talk about the process of mastery that always begins with not knowing and includes bumbling along and ex- and making mistakes and experimenting and screwing up in order to become masterful. That's just what what you described in that you know how do you how do you choose to step forward and do a solo is just a wonderful metaphor for that whole process of going from not knowing and feeling worried and embarrassed to being able to create something. And that's what I talk to kids about all the time. Yeah. So and I, I feel like the, the kids already come in with examples in their own life of where they have bumbled around already, you know, by middle school yeah. or tweens, you know, tweeny years. Like you yeah. could just say, Hey, what if every time, what if every time you fell on your butt on your diaper, when you started to walk, you just, stopped walking and you decide, right. you know what, I'm not going to walk anymore. Right. Or, or, your parents, or your parents said, you know what, we, that, this is just too risky. We're out, right? We're, right. This, this child is not going to, this is just too much. Yep. We're yeah. going to buy We're going to go to the medical supply store. We're going to buy a wheelchair. That's where you're going to be bound there the, the rest of your life. Right. We're going right. to duct tape you down so you don't get hurt. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Every kid has those stories because every, every kid that arrives in, school and middle school, every kid that steps into the choir, every kid that's going to try out or do a solo has already worked through multiple situations because they know how to talk. They know how to walk. They know Mm -hmm. how to put food into their mouth. They know how to, you know, even in the performing, they know how to sing this song that they didn't know how to sing, or I don't know the language of, 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 I, I, I played the trumpet actually for, okay. for nine years, um, but I don't know the language of voice. My, my brother is actually uh, a, a classically trained opera singer. Um, oh, wonderful. It, yeah. And it's so interesting to me that the process of developing your voice is the same as developing any other skill, any other talent, 
any other strength. So getting kids really conversant in that language is just awesome. Right. Yeah. It's yeah, it's 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 failure, it's muscle memory, it's you know, looking stupid, it's sounding ridiculous, right? right? Yeah. I right. mean right. I, I can you know I think one of the things that we should do as choir directors is go back and if we have a recording of 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 us doing our, you know, you know, uh, high, a high school solo or something like that. You know, I mean, like, right. I found a I found a CD of when I was 18 years old. I did a little concert oh. with with my girlfriend. Yeah, and she was a singer too. And I I w- popped it in because I still have a CD player, you know, in my car. And yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, that was <laughs> wow, you know. And I really blossomed, you know, and I think yeah. like, play that for your kids, Choir Nation, yeah. you know, play that for your students and be like, yeah, you want to see awkward? Yeah, pull up my middle school picture, you know, like, right. let's talk about awkward for a second. You're going to be awkward, but guess what? And I tell them, I, told, I always told my middle school kids, I was like, you guys are the most awkward looking people I've ever seen. I was like, you are made, you all look like you're made of spare parts right now. You look like, a, <laughs> you look like a dachshund, you know, you look like big floppy ears and little skinny, like little stubby arms. Right. But, right. but the thing about it is, is that like you get better looking every day. Right. <laughs> That's right. what you can look forward to. You get less awkward every single day. How awesome is that? You know? Um, yeah. And you'll well, be even less awkward a- if you just try more things, you take more risks. Yeah. Yeah, I have a I have a an assignment that I give to the kids that I see, uh, and, and I um, I work I don't work with kids alone. I always work with parents. The rule in my office is if you can drive to the appointment by yourself, you can come to the appointment by yourself. Because I really feel like there needs to be parents need coaching, and particularly in the anxiety world, this thing you know there are trees and then there are apples and. Um, so, but the assignment that I give to families a lot of the time is to go back in a photo album and find pictures, you know, have the parents find pictures of themselves. Or, you know, if you're 17, go back and find your middle school, you know, your eighth grade class photo, mm-hmm. just so that we can have a good visual representation of, of how far you've come. Yep. Yeah. We call that, that's the hashtag glow up. That's the, yeah. that's the glow up. <laughs> you didn't grow up, you glowed up, you know, so. You're right, right, right. Yeah, right. I, I, Lynn, this is great. I mean, is there? I want to. I want to give you a chance to, um, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, your your books and um, where we can find you and, and that kind of thing. And and if you just want to leave us with some type of, you know, parting uh, parting wish that you wish we would all understand about our our students, or just a little tip or trick or something like that. Um, yeah, that would be great. Sure. Um, so I'll I'll start with the little tip or the little trick. Um, the one thing that I, and, and, and with voice again, only from knowing this from my brother, um, breathing is so important. And one of the things, however, that has happened a lot in the anxiety world is this expectation that breathing alone is going to get rid of your worry and it doesn't. So breathing is a great way to get your feet under you. It's a great way to reboot your system. It gives messages to your body that sort of like, all right, things are okay. You're actually not being chased by a grizzly bear. But there needs to be the next step after that. There needs to be coaching and help in order to recognize what worry says. And here's what worry says all the time for everybody. It's some version of blah, 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 and you can't handle it. 
The content of what you worry about is not the thing because it's different for everybody. It's the process of how worry shows up and how it takes over and how it convinces you that you can't move forward. And so for for anybody listening that is dealing with kids and, and dealing with their own kids or maybe their own worry, as long as we can get to the point where we recognize that we all have that voice inside of us, we all have that part inside of us that says, oh, you can't handle it. And we, we change the relationship to our worry. It's not about getting rid of it. It's about changing the relationship to it when it shows up because it will show up. It's a part of being a human being and not treating it with such seriousness, you know, being able to say, thanks for sharing Agnes or, Oh, there you go again. Or, or I of course you're going to show up when I'm about to raise my hand to do the solo, or of course you're going to show up. And so really changing your relationship with worry, not focusing so much on what you worry about, but on how worry works. It, it just makes an enormous difference. Um, about me, uh, my, my website is lynnlyonsnh.com, NH for New Hampshire. Uh, lynnlyons.com, when I first started my website many years ago, was um, a woman had it, and it was erotic writing with a sensual twist. So oh, that, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I had to differentiate myself from her. Um, I, I don't, I don't think she made a go of it, but you know, good for trying. So it's uh, lynnlinesnh.com. Um, the books are on there. I do a lot of trainings. There's some videos. I'm doing a, um, I'm doing a three day intensive, uh, which is going to become a webinar, and I'll be recording that in April. So anybody that wants to really get a, a, a pretty significant dose of how to coach kids with anxiety that would keep your eye out on that. I'm on Facebook, um, a newsletter that you can sign up for on Facebook that I send out articles and what I'm up to and different thoughts about things. So I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. Great. So it's Lynn, L-Y-N-N, Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S. Right. N-H- Yep, nh.com. Or if you just put in my name, Lynn Lyons, you'll you'll find me. Awesome. And you're on you're on Twitter. I we I connected with you on Twitter, and and so if anybody yeah. in the educator world is in the Twitter sphere, and uh, so you're in New Hampshire. You know, I have I have some friends up up in the the uh, New England area uh, that could probably use you for a conference. So uh, I really think that that there there are some great there are some great things that you have to say here that I really feel like if I can't, you know, get to them in the choir world, man, I actually hope, hope that you get a chance to at some point. That'd be, that'd be really wonderful. Thanks. Thanks. Well, that, that, that would be, I, I, you know, my, my goal of course is to spread the word because we, we need to help our kids as best we can. So. Yeah. Amazing. This is, this is, this has been great, Lynn. I, I really appreciate your time today and um, you've you've certainly helped us to step up to our podiums with purpose today. So I mean that is oh, well, that's our that is our goal. So um, Lynn, thank you so much for being a guest today on the Choir Ninja podcast. Well, thanks for having me. It's been great. All right, Choir Nation, there you have it, um, Lynn Lyons, and man, she was just amazing. Uh, I, I think this is such a valuable episode. This is a toolbox episode for everybody. Uh, if you liked it, share it. Um, you know, feel free to share it right from your phone and uh, text somebody and say, hey, you should listen to this Choir Ninja podcast. I think it would be a good one. Um, even just a teacher would, you know, just a regular teacher, a parent uh, that would need to hear this message. You know, if you love them, share it with them. So, uh, Choir Nation, thank you so much for joining me today for the Choir Ninja podcast, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Take care. Choir Ninja Show.
bang, bang, 